Welcome to Clippings, the official podcast of the Council for Nail Disorders, where Drs. April Schachtel and Catherine Stiff take a closer look at articles and clippings published on all things nail disease. Listeners can suggest articles for this podcast or topics of discussion by sending an email to kristen.cnd at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Clippings Podcast, where we review nail papers and present them to you. I'm April Schachtel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Catherine Stiff. Hey, April. First of all, I want to say it was a pleasure to meet so many of our listeners at the AAD annual meeting last month. This is our first time recording since the meeting, where there were so many awesome talks by members of the CND. This month, we had a request for a topic on the management of EGFR inhibitor-induced nail unit changes. So I'll be reviewing an article from Brianna Olamiju, Shaman Bular, Dr. Emily Coleman, and Dr. Jonathan Leventhal from Yale. This is a research letter titled Management of Paronychia with Pseudobiogenic Granulomas Secondary to Epidermal Growth Factor Receptor Inhibitors an assessment of topical timolol and the need for multiple medical and procedural therapies. This was published in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology in March of 2021. The background is that paronychia and pseudopyogenic granulomas, or PGs, occur in 10 to 30% of patients receiving epidermal growth factor or EGFR inhibitors, and they can significantly affect patient quality of life. This side effect is not as common as the acneiform rashes that patients get with EGFR inhibitors, but they are one of the most common cutaneous side effects otherwise. The pathophysiologic mechanism of these changes is not well understood, but it is thought to result from inhibition of the EGFR and downstream EGFR-dependent pathways in basal and suprabasal keratinocytes. The inhibition leads to changes in the differentiation and migration of epidermal cells with decreased cell survival through apoptosis. So ultimately, the periangual epidermis thins and it can be pierced by the lateral edges of the nail plate, leading to foreign body inflammation and sometimes PG formation. Similar changes happen with isotretinoin and acetretin. Prior case series have explored topical beta blockers as a treatment strategy for these periangual PGs, but the efficacies have varied widely. These authors performed a retrospective chart review of patients with EGFR inhibitor-related paronychia with PGs who were referred to the Oncodermatology Clinic at the Yale Cancer Center from 2018 to 2020. Patients were treated with topical timolol 0.5% gel, twice a day under occlusion as monotherapy. Responses were recorded as either complete, partial, or no response at four weeks. If patients did not respond, they were treated according to expert recommendations. All patients tolerated the treatment well without any significant side effects. A total of 10 patients, half men and half women, with a mean age of 60, were included, and they were being treated for either head and neck or lung cancer with a variety of EGFR inhibitors. The median time from receiving the EGFR inhibitor to developing paronychia with PGs was 146 days, which is longer than I have read in other literature. 
There were on average 2.3 PGs per patient, and 7 out of 10 patients had both toenail and fingernail involvement. Two of the patients had complete response to the topical timolol, but one of the patients later had recurrence that only partially responded. The remainder of the patients had a partial response, and no patients did not respond to the topical timolol at all. So ultimately, 9 out of 10 patients required additional treatment in the form of topical antibiotics or antiseptics, topical steroids, oral antibiotics, silver nitrate, cryotherapy, and or partial or full toenail avulsion by podiatry. No patients required interruption of their EGFR inhibitor. Their other cutaneous toxicities included acneiform rash, alopecia, nasal vestibulitis, and trichomegaly. The authors conclude that topical timolol is well tolerated but is not very effective as monotherapy in most instances. It should be considered as an adjunct to medical and procedural therapies. Factors that are likely to affect its efficacy include patient adherence, the size of the PGs, superinfection, and severity of the associated paronychia. Prospective studies are needed to identify the optimal use of beta blockers in this context topical beta blockers in this context. Prevention of nail toxicities is also very important. I want to briefly touch on an article that Dr. Robert and colleagues published in 2015 in Lancet Oncology titled Nail Toxicities Induced by Systemic Anti-Cancer Treatments. In this paper, the authors review recommendations to prevent nail effects from anti-cancer treatments which include avoiding trauma or friction on the nails, avoiding manicuring, artificial nails, nail biting, hangnails, and cuticle removal. They recommend protective cotton gloves under waterproof gloves for contact with water. Patients should avoid contact with detergents, nail polish, and nail polish removers. Nails should be trimmed regularly, and topical emollients should be applied to the cuticles and the nail folds daily. Cotton socks should be worn, and shoes should be comfortable and wide-fitting. Ultimately, there are many treatment options for perinichia with periungual PGs, and I'm glad that this paper on topical timolol adds evidence-based data that can help us select between the therapies. This is an important area of research where I hope to see more information coming, given how significant the quality of life impact can be. Catherine, tell us what you read about. All right. This month, I chose the article Fractional CO2 Laser Assisted Delivery versus Intralesional Injection of Methotrexate in Psoriatic Nails by Drs. Alakad, Nasser, Atef, and Eldeeb from Zagazig University in Egypt, which was e-published ahead of print in Dermatologic Surgery, March 2022. So intralesional methotrexate has been shown to be efficacious in the treatment of nail psoriasis, and we actually discussed this treatment method in our very first podcast episode. Unfortunately, pain is a major side effect, which can reduce patient compliance. Fractional laser has recently been utilized to enhance penetration of topical antifungals into the nails in the treatment of onychomycosis. And recently, improvement in psoriatic nails using fractional CO2 laser pulse dye laser, and topical beta-methasone calcipatriol has been reported. 
These studies prompted these authors to investigate the role of fractional lasers followed by topical methotrexate in the treatment of nail psoriasis. So 28 patients with fingernail psoriasis were randomized to the intralesional methotrexate group, or group A, or the CO2 laser followed by topical methotrexate group, or group B. Baseline nail psoriasis severity index, or NAPSI scores, and dermoscopic scores were documented. For the intralesional methotrexate group, after sterilization with povidone iodine, a proximal digital nerve block was performed for the involved fingers. 30 minutes later, methotrexate at a strength of 25 milligrams per milliliter was injected using an insulin syringe at four points. It was two points into, into the nail matrix through the proximal nail fold and two points into the nail bed through the hyponychium. Approximately 0.02 milliliters was injected at each point. Successful injection was observed with yellow discoloration of the lunula due to the yellow color of the medication. For the laser group, a single pass targeting the nail plate and nail fold was performed with fractional CO2 laser, followed by topical application of 0.1 milliliters of methotrexate at the same strength of 25 milligrams per milliliter per digit. Anesthesia was not required. The patients then applied plastic disposable gloves and were instructed to avoid washing their hands for two hours. Both treatments were performed bi-weekly for six treatment sessions. Clinical and dermoscopic photos were taken at baseline week 6, week 12, and week 24. The participants were also asked to fill out a questionnaire describing their satisfaction rates and severity of pain. In total, 123 nails were treated. In group A, or the intralesional group, the median total NAPSI declined from 20 at baseline to 6 at week 12. The median dermoscopic score reduced from 24 at baseline to 7.5 at week 12. And at 24-week follow-up, the scores were not significantly different compared to week 12. In group B, or the laser group, the median total NAPSI decreased from 16 at baseline to 8 at week 12. And the median dermoscopic score decreased from 19 at baseline to 7.5 at week 12. And again, no significant difference was seen between weeks 12 and 24. Overall, there was no significant difference between the two methods in total NAPSI score, nail matrix score, nail bed score, or dermoscopic scores. There was also not a significant difference in patient satisfaction, with most patients reporting being satisfied or highly satisfied. Not surprisingly, the pain score was significantly higher in the injection group, with all patients reporting at least mild pain. In the laser group, nearly 80% of patients reported no pain, with the remaining reporting only mild pain. Subungual hematoma was seen in five patients in the intralegional group, while there was, were no side effects observed in the laser group. So I found this article really exciting because I think the use of CO2 laser can potentially allow more patients to receive effective treatment for their nail psoriasis. As we know, topical agents have limited efficacy due to reduced penetration through the nail plate, which is why intralesional injections into the matrix are the preferred treatment. 
However, I'm sure there are many dermatologists who are not comfortable performing digital nerve blocks or intramatrical injections, but most would feel comfortable using CO2 laser followed by topical application of a medication. This method is also less time-consuming and less painful for patients. The main limiting factor would be the availability of laser at your facility and cost of the laser treatment. I'm not sure how we would bill or get reimbursed for this procedure, but regardless, this was a well-done study, and I look forward to seeing more studies utilizing CO2 laser followed by topical medications for the treatment of nail disorders. I agree. It's a really creative way to go about getting the medicine in. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to hearing more about it. Uh, Catherine, thank you for joining me on this episode of Clippings. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. To all of our listeners, please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we are doing and which articles you would like us to review on the show by contacting kristen.cnd at gmail.com or find us on Instagram or Twitter at Nail Disorders.